A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Trent Reznor is most famously known for being the frontman and core contributor of the world-renowned rock group Nine Inch Nails. Generally associated with dark sound and imagery, Reznor's work has a unique style that has resulted in 13 Grammy nominations and the sale of over 20 million records. Though he reached great success in the early years of Nine Inch Nails, Trent was not someone who dealt with the pressures of fame in a positive manner. At the time when fame presented itself to me, uh, I was not at a point in my own life where I was equipped to deal with it in any way. I'm not really comfortable with um, any of the celebrity that goes along with just playing music, so I try to avoid it, and I don't, not to be uh, difficult, I just don't enjoy, you know, that sort of thing. And I had a built-in sense of not being good enough that I've carried with me from whatever it's come from. And an easy way to fit in was to self-medicate, you know, and after a while, self-medication started to stifle anything creative or good that I had, including my ability to even like myself. And that led itself to a place where I had to get better, I just had to, I hated who I'd become. A pivotal moment in Trent's life was coming to terms with his addictions. During the tour for the album Downward Spiral, Trent's life became more and more of an accurate representation of the album name itself. It took Trent reaching rock bottom for him to come to terms with what was needed to turn his life around and create great pieces of music once again. We started as a medium-sized band in America. When we ended up, we were a big band. And I really didn't, I was, my head was spinning when I got off that tour. And I allowed some external forces to kind of shape my own personality. And it, I became something I said I never would be. You know, I, I turned into someone I didn't like that much. Pretty bad place, actually, like emotionally and spiritually, where I was really just genuinely unhappy. And I've, I've realized that as an artist, I have to draw upon a place where I have to examine myself and really try to understand why I feel the way I do about certain things and have the courage to look into that mirror and see it. And now in retrospect, I look back to that time and I realized the last thing I wanted to do was um, do that. The last thing, I, the last person I wanted to spend time with was myself at that time. So I did anything that made me think I was busy, but I wasn't really addressing the situation. It took me getting to a place of like being at the bottom and really having the courage to face myself and say, you know, you got everything you ever want in life and you're miserable. And that made me feel worse because I had no excuses. Like I got everything I ever dreamed I'd ever get because I never thought I'd get it, I got it. It makes sense that some of his most well-known songs are his darkest. But what are his thoughts on creating from a place of emotional darkness? And what is his preferred state of mind while writing music? You know, if you'd asked me that question, what state of mind produces my best work? Ten years ago, I would have said pain and despair and desperation and aggravation. And um, given the choice to punch a wall or write a song, I'd have to be in that mindset to get something out that mattered. Or utter defeat, or one of those things was the motivation to 
channel that energy into something that might be considered positive instead of self-destructive. Not being in that place allows me to think a lot more clearly about things than I could if I have to be in that place to write. You know? And much like every other role that drugs or alcohol played in my life, I realized that that also was more hindering than it was freeing. And then that, a lot of that was a, a lie and a cheap way to get to some place that wasn't real anyway. You know, I can function much better creatively as well as, you know, in life in general. Now that we've heard how sobriety has affected his songwriting, it makes me curious if he has the same outlook when it comes to performing. Were you also at all nervous about um, you know going back and performing, being being clean? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my last you know the last times I played, the last year of touring in 2000 was being sick every single day and lying to myself and living in this terrifying world of um, being physically addicted to something. If I didn't have a drink before I went on, I'd get sick, and it was just terrible. And it was that was soul-crushing year facing you know just bad bad time and I gotta admit you know the day of the first show I woke up nervous you know and it wasn't like I want to go have a drink it was just like I hope I don't feel that way before I go on stage you know and uh, I didn't you know I went on and it was a great show and the next day I kind of thought about it but not really and then I didn't even think about it and just became how I remember it being before that last year of touring. You know, it was something to look forward to, and it's fun playing live, and I, it's great to look out and know that I can't wait to play these songs for you, and I'm not dying on stage while I'm doing it. Following his addiction, it's no surprise Trent would take the opportunity of a new album to reflect on darker times with his next song, With Teeth. Rather than explaining the meaning of the lyrics, he thinks it's important for people to draw their own conclusions of his work. I don't really like to get into lyrics and what they're about that much just because I think it kind of doesn't really matter. You know, to me, what's always been the songs that have meant the most to me, they're what I think they're about, you know, and it's always better than what the guy that wrote it's about, you know. When you mishear a lyric and the one that you've thought you've heard is better than the real one when you finally see it. I like books are better than movies because you design it to set you way you want it to look, you know, and it's... I don't like to have my personality or what I'm up to outside this room or overshadow what I think the most important thing is, which is, to me, the music. And his music has stood for itself in a profound way. But why exactly is it that tens of millions of people have resonated so immensely with it? I believe it's the sense of sincerity held in his work. Each song is an accurate reflection of who he is in the moment of its creation. You know, when I've sat down to write, I've always tried to have the main criteria just be to be honest with myself about how I feel about whatever it is that I happen to be writing about and, and try to be as brutally honest and not cater to anything other than what excites me as an artist and as a person and you know as long as it feels valid to me and feels sincere I would hate to think I would ever be in a position where I'm faking it to get a paycheck you know, it's been four and a half years since we've toured or I've been on stage. And a big question for me was wondering if this is going to still seem valid and relevant. As of right now, we've played a handful of shows that went as good as I could have hoped. You know, it, felt, it felt real on stage. I don't feel like I'm playing a role of someone I used to be. Um, 
it feels uh, relevant, it feels valid. Very happy to say that it feels that way. You know, not that I would sit here and say that it doesn't feel that way, but I'm telling you the truth and it, it does. Believe me, it does. You know. Years ago when I did the music that was going to be Pretty Hate Machine, I, I'd always wanted to be in a band, I thought, and I wanted to do this, I thought. And when I finally had the courage to sit down and try to write music, um, first I just tried to write lyrics just to have lyrics to put in the song. They didn't mean anything. They were, they were bad. And it wasn't until I had the courage to kind of, I realized I was keeping a journal of like things that I wouldn't show anybody and things I wasn't real proud to feel, but I had to get it out somehow. And so when I um, incorporated them into a few songs, and I realized that I'd struck something that made me feel better to get it out. And it had an honesty and an integrity to it that I think can only come from meaning something instead of pretending that you're a character doing something. So I kind of used that as the framework for Nine Inch Nails where um, every record I've done really expresses where my head's been at when I've done it. I think it has a truthfulness to it and an integrity or sincerity that I think that's where it's gone. I know that, I mean, now I'm faced with some, um, hey, the fragile doesn't sound like that spiral. Uh, in America, it hasn't sold as well as Downward Spiral did. No, do you think it's a failure? And no, I don't. It, it reflects where I've been when I did it, and that's the record I had to make and, and very proud of. When I think of honesty in lyrics, I think of his 1994 song, Hurt. Perhaps the thoughtful integrity Trent poured into this song is the reason Johnny Cash created the well-known cover towards the end of his life. The whole Johnny Cash thing came up at a time right when I was about to start writing this record. And I was kind of in the, technically in my time off phase, you know, but what was going through my head was really questioning um, my own relevance. And I was wondering if I had anything to say or if I was any good and just kind of really thinking about those things. And, Rick Rubin, who's a good friend of mine, called me up and asked me if how I'd feel about Johnny Cash covering Hurt. And I was flattered. Okay, great. And I think I kind of assumed it would be one of a hundred songs they might, you know, try for an album. And then a while later, I got a CD in the mail. You know, it surprised me that I felt a bit kind of invaded, like. Like his voice was in my song and it sounded funny to me. I wasn't in the mood to really listen, I wasn't doing something else. And then not long after that, I got the video in the mail from Mark Romantic. And that was, uh, that's when everything kind of goosebumps, wet eyes. You know what I mean, I, I couldn't believe how emotionally powerful um, that video was and how that. Um, Johnny Cash could um, juxtapose his life against my words in that song and just felt incredibly powerful and um, just felt really privileged to be involved in that in whatever abstract way that I was, you know. And <clears throat> sad that it became the context you know, in his life and which context it ended up becoming at the end of his life. But um, it's a very flattering situation to have somebody that's such an immense talent and icon as him and great songwriter asked to sing your song and then him turning it into this thing that really beautiful and it felt like um it felt really 
at the time, it felt really comforting and like a pat on the back in a way of like, you know, you can do this, get out there and write an album. And, you know, it felt good to me. You know, I was very flattered to be involved in it. There's no doubt Johnny Cash's version of Hurt has an element of authenticity to it, and that this was important to Trent. However, Trent felt a loss of this essential authenticity in rock and roll music as the early 2000s approached. In general, through the history of rock, it's been what's been good about it is the rebelliousness and the um, anti-establishment and the rule breaking and the um, lack of political correctness, perhaps. And I think people want excitement and danger. And if you look at what's, I mean, the, the rock bands out now, it's I don't see much of that. It's like it's been sucked into the pop world. Personally, I find a, a sense of. Um, lack of sincerity, a bit of posturing, you know, and that's what I, when I, bands that I find that I like, I, I inherently have a sense that they mean it, and that matters to me. I don't, if I think somebody's just um, following the trend because that's what you do today, I, I, I can sound full of myself, but I can tell you that um, I'm glad to make money doing this, but I'm doing it because I love music and this is what I would do anyway. And, and if I had to work at McDonald's to make music at night, that's what I would do. But I think a lot of people now are doing music just to make money and trying to um, hoodwink people into believing that there's some sincerity there. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah. But I, I think when you're in a climate where you're much more um, congratulated on your business sense than you are your talent, that something's not quite right with the scene right now. Well, That's you're seeing it in a lot, a lot of different arts, too, where it's like really broad caricatures of very, very generalized things a sort of pablumized, homogenized type of art. And I, I wonder sometimes, is that what people want? Or is that what they're merely given? Well, I think to a degree people will absorb what they're spoon-fed, you know? And if you look at playlists and radios and videos now, it's, it's apparent that people are buying what they're told to buy. But um, I do think there's a contingent of people out there that demand more from their arts and, and want to get a, a greater meaning or depth or want to read lyrics and think about it or wonder what thought went into it and then not treat music as just disposable crap that you buy on a little plastic thing and throw out when you're sick of it. You know? yeah. To me, rock music was never meant to be safe. I think there needs to be an element of intrigue, mystery, subversiveness. Your parents should hate it. And over 30 years after the founding of Nine Inch Nails, Trent continues to push the boundaries of rock music to the present day.